this week on Deep Night. Uh, there's and, and lots of dyed of... hair in that show. <laughs> I think my hair is the least dyed. You can still see the gray. <laughs> I tried to dye my beard this week and it, with some organic products. Oh, kind of God powder. love you. It turned completely green. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a Ramona Quimby story. Exactly. If Ramona Quimby had a graying beard. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and welcome once again to the Hour of Regrets and Revelations. I am your host, your foreign submarine lurking off your coast, and a persistent shimmer from the multiverse. And I invite you to join me once again as we journey through the deep night. We come to you as we always do from the foul banks of the Gowanus. Tonight, as the guana slowly forms into a semi-solid gel and then back to a thick liquid, as the temperatures fluctuate in these long gray evenings of February, I'm thinking of our own transitions and our place in the world. The turmoil at our meditation center has not abated, with new allegations being thrown at the current unpopular administration and reviled meditation leader... Tugger Firmoil, who has been hiding away at his parents' home outside of Sarasota and issuing a flurry of new regulations about attire in the hot soak room and sudden restrictions on who can and cannot participate in our clothing-optional gong-building workshops. But I try to escape the accusations and the frequent talk of new elections for moments of reflection and awareness, and many of those have been happening for me this week. My wife, Galinda, has a pinched nerve in her neck, and she's invited me to sleep on the couch for most of this past month. She said it might be good for my snoring energy, something she says is really encroaching on her sleep chance. I, for one, never had a couch growing up on account of our financial situation, so I love sleeping on the sofa. It's a treat to get to hear the trash trucks rumbling around outside at all hours, the port loading commerce into shipping containers, and then setting off into the foggy waters for parts unknown. Probably China or Delaware, mysterious places with lax tax policies. It's been during these nights on the sofa that my mind has started to wander a bit, Right before I enter a dream state and take flight on the astral plane as a great glowing phoenix or a radiant sacred bat. And I was reminded of those very first time, uh, times one comes to a city like New York, but also specifically New York. You arrive at an airport or train station, get a cab one way or another, drop your bags in a space that's so small you can't believe anyone lives there. You sit sideways on a toilet seat. Or maybe you meet up with more friends and then take the subway, and then that's when it happens. You pop up in the darkness, disoriented, to go to a restaurant that they love, that they've chosen for you. And then once the meal is finished, you walk a little tipsy, maybe on friendship, maybe on too many dark and stormies, and you end up trudging over trash piles and steam grates, and you wind up at a bar somewhere with low lights and a chatty bartender, and you're introduced to a person with shiny hair and an imperfect but pretty smile, and you bask in the glow of laughter and not feeling awkward for once. And these places, these places that you've arrived at just by uh, emerging out of the trains and out of the underground, you know, these, these places form points for you, a constellation in your mind. When you think about New York, your vision of it is defined by those experiences, not fixed on a map or part of a routine. It's these wonderful surprises that craft your reality here. 
And maybe the next time you're in town, you go to different friends, or you're at a conference and you stumble around to other places. It's not just an assemblage of villages or upper this or upper that, just little clusters of memories, each one new, each one etching itself into the ongoing path of your life. And that's what I feel like this show is like. Every week I pop up out of the darkness. I meet with someone I've never met. We talk for an hour, and in doing so, I expand my understanding of this place, this time, of other people, and my position within the world. People I talk to are those that I am fascinated by, or I become fascinated with through the conversation. Every story is unique and unmooring in a good way, sometimes reaffirming, too. Tonight on the program is one such conversation. We welcome Lisa Rossman. Now, I had not known Lisa but I had a good feeling about her, and lo and behold, we had a genuinely wonderful time, not just sharing a common bond about motion pictures, something she knows a quite uh, a great deal about as a film reviewer for New York One's Talking Pictures, but also about faith and spirituality and one's own projected light. So let's open ourselves up and delve ever further into this deep night for a conversation with my guest, Lisa Rossman. Lisa Rossman, <laughs> welcome to the Deep Night Studios. Humble though they are, how are you doing? I'm quite well. I'm recovering from a Vagina Day or Valentine's Day, as some oh, people call it. Sure, well, yeah. I've never called it Vagina Day. Well, Why did you call it that? I don't know. I just enjoyed the double V. Maybe oh. some alliteration, trying to be a little saucy. Sure, who doesn't enjoy a double V? Well, I'm so yes. thrilled you could join us. And uh, you're probably most familiar to our listeners as uh, one of the film commentators on New York One's uh, uh, Talking Pictures On Demand. Yes, that is one of the hats that I wear, sir. Yes. Well, you love hats, don't you? I do. I'm wearing a <laughs> quite voluminous one right now, big, yeah, fur, beautiful. Russian. Well, Russian is appropriate for everything yes, that's going on. it's the new thing. On. It's the new thing. We're all going to be wearing those hats. Uh, well, I'll ask the question that probably is on the mind of everyone oh, out yeah. here in uh, the greater New York area. Are you excited to make the transition from Time Warner to Spectrum? Uh, in my, this A, the transition has happened. Yes. <laughs> and uh, B, so far, it's it's quite interesting. You know, it's, there's a shakeup. It's, I keep on thinking about the episodes of 30 Rock where NBC got bought out by a, <laughs> right. a smaller company. Yes. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's just the one guy that he comes on the TV and tells me everything's going to be fine. Yeah, Pat Kiernan. <laughs> well, him too. But then they have a Spectrum guy. And he walk, I think he's got khakis on and he says, don't worry – uh, it's just going to be called Spectrum now. You can still use everything the way you have been. It's fine. Yes, but I will tell you that the, the dressing rooms are quite different now. They're clean, for one thing, which oh. is shocking and maybe a little upsetting for me. <laughs> you liked a little bit of disarray. I, 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 yeah, it was like when they cleaned up Times Square. I didn't know what oh, to do with you're myself. nostalgic for the way it used oh, yes, to be. Oh, yes. I'm always a nostalgic person. Those heady Time Warner days yes. of filth and grime. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the champagne days of my youth. Oh, my. Well, how long have you been reviewing films? Uh, I started in the early aughts. Oh, I like that. Yes, yeah. I remember those times. Yeah, quite well. Um, uh, yeah, it was the my first real gig was I was the film editor of the Brooklyn Rail, but I got canned because, and I quote, I was too hard on lefty filmmakers, which I found really hilarious because I'm a former labor organizer. Right, but it doesn't seem 
quite to to line up with uh, what mm. I know about you. And that was Fong, is that who's over yeah, there? Yeah, they didn't they didn't really dig an outspoken big busty blonde. <laughs> they like their little they like their women small and mousy. Yeah, well, <laughs> you've come to the right place today. Uh, I gather that you're someone who has always been a lover of films, someone who maybe even from an early age got into films from the 40s and 50s yes. and that kind of thing. I lived um, I grew up in Greater Boston and mm-hmm. I lived down the street from this uh, movie theater called the West Newton Movie Theater, which to this day is one of the greatest movie theaters around. It's got huge screens, very Art Deco, and they I don't know how they stay open, honestly, because they'll play the same odd foreign film for two months if they like it. And I <laughs> used to sneak in every day. We used to have something similar uh, to that in Providence, uh, Rhode Island, where I spent some time, little Avon Cinema. Oh, yeah, and, I love uh, that place. Yeah, nice little. And the cable car would also be another one that you'd go to and maybe have some pizza and sit in a couch. See, that's good, when you get to eat crap at the same time. Right. And As a critic, you know, you sit in these sterile small rooms and everyone around you is an older white guy with big black glasses yeah. who doesn't laugh at the funny stuff. Oh. That can be deadly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm the only laugh track. And what are those are at like the studio places? You go to a studio. That uh, always... No, there's a. It's actually kind of a. You know how New York is full of small little subcultures. Well, one of yeah. them is these tiny little screening rooms that still populate Midtown Manhattan. And for the most part, that's where we see most of our films. Oh. Although now these days we also get sense tons of screening links, which means that. Uh, the little bit of socialization that critics used to get is now by the wayside. Yes. <laughs> you don't get dressed all day. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, put it on the TV. That's right. Uh, but you get cup holders and things? You get food there? No. Oh, gosh, no. Nothing. No, nothing, no. I mean, if you're seeing, sometimes if you're seeing something at Warner Brothers, they'll, and let's face it, they've shown a lot of crap in the last year. Like, like here's looking at you, Ben Affleck. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll come back to him. Yes. I have yes. some thoughts. Yes. I'd like to do that. I'd like to stomp on him. Um, and, you know, I've, Again, hometown honey, Boston. Yeah, but yeah. they sometimes will feed us beforehand, although I'm sure after I say this, they won't. They'll cut it off. <laughs> yeah. No more pretzel no nibs more for, for you. <laughs> no more carrot sticks for that girl. That's enough on our <laughs> dear it. boy Affleck. Um, well, here's something that I haven't quite been able to figure out. I mean, I've kind of circled around it in different conversations and things. But uh, now we're at a moment where we have access to a lot of content, all the content you want to see, sort of, whatever. The, there's some gatekeepers that are holding things back. But... Uh, when we were younger, maybe, uh, we had access to uh, f- these shows that we're talking about, f- great films, things on the television mm-hmm. that uh, the children today are not seeing because they're watching Nickelodeon or Disney. I don't mean to say kids today, but there is something that even though we have all this access to great things, uh, people are not necessarily being forced <laughs> to so you mean watch that, it. So that you mean that there was something weirdly democratic about the fact that there were only five stations, so what was yes. on TV is what we watched? Because on Saturday and Sunday, right. Dad would be mowing the lawn, and you'd be watching the Maltese Falcon. That's right. Channel well, 38 in Boston was... Yeah. Uh, there was a dude named Dana Hersey, and he had the movie loft, and it was like it looked like a real bachelor's pad with like yeah. ferns, the whole works, <laughs> and whatever he showed, I sucked it up and watched. So that's exactly what you're describing, and I developed a real penchant for the old films. Yeah, I do think though that the flip side of it is that kids. I mean, I have a I don't have children, but I have four goddaughters, and they, you know, if you have curiosity, you can really absorb a lot. Like they're not just getting fed the mains. You know, like one of my goddaughters is super into progressive hip hop from the '90s. And it's crazy to hear a 12-year-old, like, quote, like, B-sides from De La Soul. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, I'm always – my feeling about change in technology and all that is always that there's a good side and a bad side. And that's true with this, too. Well, fair enough. 
But I long for those days a little bit because I watched so many great things on TV. Oh, that's true. That and is you true. Still, and maybe we were just closer to it in time that there was also uh, the television program. I mean, we could watch conceivably on a weekend or something like Mikhail's Navy. <laughs> It would be on. But don't you think, what about smoke. like there's Nickelode- Nick at Night and there's TCM? I mean, I can't get yeah. rid of my cable because I am obsessed with TCM. Yeah. Obsessed. That seems like kind of tailor made for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That is correct. So. <laughs> <laughs> that and whatever they have at MoMA or something is probably. Yeah, actually, last night for Vagina Day, yes. uh, I, my friends and I saw uh, The Lady Eve at Metrograph, which oh. has been a really pleasant addition to the old movie scene in New York recently. I love it. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but like, I don't all, think so. it's it's my it's I think it's my fourth favorite film, which yeah. is saying a lot. And I mean, Preston Sturges and Barbara Stanwyck, who is to date the greatest film actress to ever <laughs> grace the screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to check it out. You have to. It's I, so I, genius. I... Basically, the whole premise is that marriage is the longest con of them all. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those. Um, now in another one. We'll see. Yeah, good luck, sir. Oh, thanks. Uh, with the show, though, that you're on, the mm. Talking Pictures, you're kind of the lightning rod of that show, Is aren't that you? true? I don't know. Oh, what, I, I think so. Oh, I, I think of myself as mere eye candy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, speaking of eye candy, it's you and the guy with the dyed hair. Uh, there's and lots of dyed of... hair in that show. <laughs> I think my hair is the least dyed. You can still see the gray. I tried to dye my beard this weekend with some organic products, some oh, kind of God powder. Oh, God love you. It turned completely green. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a Ramona Quimby story. Exactly. If Ramona Quimby had a graying beard. Right. Wasn't there some episode of like the Brady Bunch or something where they yeah, tried Marcia, to... Marsha, Marsha, yeah, Marsha. They yes. tried something. Well, they, there's a couple of people on there. You, you see them socially? Uh... <laughs> It's a really loaded <laughs> question. There's a hate-love thing that prevails between all of us, I think. Uh, Bill and Neil, who are the two other uh, regulars on the show, have been friends for a dog's age. <clears throat> Note the choice of noun. And um, I, I mean, the truth is that all of us go out to the Hamptons once a summer and we go have a big dinner every once Aww. in a blue moon. And I think of them as my big brothers, who I consider also to be <clears throat> super retrogressive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. It actually is. I love. I, I do love them. I just also, you know, we disagree all the time. Yeah, but you, 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 you give them as good as they, oh. as they get. Right? Is that the phrase? I give as good as I get. Well, I like to think so. Yeah. I do find it funny that you hold your own. Out the, the, there. I find it hilarious that the, afterwards they'll be like, "You interrupted me so much." I'm like, "You guys understand the concept of interruption, right? That you interrupt me constantly." <laughs> Baby doesn't like the same medicine. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of film criticism and things, you know what book was influential to me? I'd love to know. The Golden Turkey Awards. I don't know this book. Tell me. Oh! I'd love to know. I'm delighted to bring something new to your orbit. Uh, (laughs) This came out, I think, in 1980. And it's a list of all the worst films ever. Kind of like the Golden Razzies or whatever the Razzies. Yeah, yeah, the Razzies from Harvard. The Razzies. But this was just listings, almost like an old TV guide where you have the, this is who was in it and this is the write-up of it and why it's terrible. But there are films like Plan 9 from Outer Space oh, and yeah. some predictable ones. I mean, ones. were there movies on there that you like? Uh, sure, yeah. There's definitely ones I sought out from there. And then I think a lot of those became part of like the Mystery Science Theater 3000 canon. Uh, but this obviously predated that. A lot of them were just poorly done sci-fi uh, efforts 
from the last you know 50, 60 years or whatever. Um, but it also prompted another question for me for you um, as uh, uh, someone uh, who uh, has a, a spiritual practice and, 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 and thinks about these kind of things. Uh, have you ever been satisfied with the way mystics or seers have been presented on film? You know, it's a, first of all, I love that question and I love the phrasing of it. The truth is, is that I think that what some people consider to be woo-woo stuff is actually best reflected in science fiction. Mm-hmm. not anything that's allegedly mystical. Like, I mean, the best example of how wrong people tend to get uh, sort of, let's call it psychic phenomena, in film is that absolute crap uh, Clint Eastwood movie that he made. I don't even, I think I've blocked out the title. <laughs> like, it's it's Hereafter or something like that. Matt Damon in, uh, inexplicably mm. plays a psychic in that film. Okay. Um, and that's, like, it, they never really get it. Like, and the other thing is people always act like they're really stricken when they have psychic abilities and... And, uh, like their eyes roll back and it's a yeah. cloudy well, and, those, and they just and they hate it. It's like a cross to bear. And I, yeah. you know, I mean, whereas I find that right now I'm really interested in the way that science fiction often kind of fuses science and spirituality, which is really my understanding of it. You know, my father has a PhD in mathematics. I grew uh-huh. up with like a su- significant emphasis on logic and rationalism in my family. And yet I also because of the experiences I had and my ancestors had, because I'm from Salem, like everyone in my family, I had to take it seriously that I knew stuff that I couldn't quite explain why. So my assumption has always been that eventually science will catch up with how these things work. And I think science fiction often captures that. Like I love the movie Interstellar. I love the movie Her. Um, I loved Arrival. I love the idea that there's often, you know, because to me science fiction is that place where a, a concept is described that we that the only reason it's elusive to us is because it hasn't been invented yet, you right. know. No, no, uh, and uh, uh, not unlike faith. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's, it's, I mean, you know, you have to. That's a very complicated question. But like, yeah. we're for example, I mean, we're in a cultural moment right now where these things are extremely important. You know, like we can feel it. And yeah. I mean, I. I'm an introvert. Like I may not seem like it in this conversation, but I'm the classic extroverted introvert, which means that I get super overwhelmed around a lot of groups of people. And that's true of all intuitives and psychics, which is what I identify as, because mm-hmm. you start to basically you're picking up on everything and you you don't really it's hard to like have an, an effective filtration system for all that. Yes. But I my point is, is that I went I've gone to all the marches you know, I went to JFK. I, you know, I did the women's the march. That have been yeah. happening. Yes. And the reason is, is that because whether, you know, it's not just to show the world. Like, it's not, we're not just showing up to show everybody that we're there and we're supporting each other. It's also because we feel that energy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's faith. I that's do. that thing that you can't quantify, but you experience anyway. Yes. Well, I, you know, I'm fascinated by that. And of course, it's been something that's always been active for me in a sense, but I've kept it kind of low, low down. But uh, I've always loved the, the, the melding of science fiction with this kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And in fact, have uh, assembled a kind of belief system for myself where the point of all of this is for uh, contact among multiverses, universes, whatever, okay. that we're put into this vessel at this time to advance something forward, and then perhaps we go on to another thing and do that someplace else. When you see ghosts or spirits, those are just little vibrations yes. from other dimensions, that yes. kind of deal. And I also relate to what you're saying about being kind of introverted, because the amount of times I said, oh, sure, I'd love to come to that event, 
and then I just don't. I do that all the time. I just don't do it. No, I'm. I think everyone knows me, assumes that I'm having fun somewhere else, whereas mostly I'm hanging out with my adorable <laughs> cat Grace, who's the perfect witch's familiar. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I've only had fish. Well, that and can be excellent familiars as well. Yeah, they're okay. They're okay. I, I haven't had a good track record. I just cooked one by mistake recently. However, uh, <laughs> I have to say that I'm interested in your idea about contact, um, and that's your perception of spirits and and ghosts and things like that. Because people are always asking me, and I hope if I'm not uh, veering the topic too much, but feel free. But people are always asking me, like, oh, like you know. You see ghosts, you see spirits, like, isn't that too much? And the truth is, is that I, my answer to every question of like, do you believe in this? Do you believe in that? Is yes, and it doesn't matter that much. It's always my answer because Uh the truth is, is that we're here and we have to do the best that we can and grow as much as we can, regardless of what else is going on. You know, like the concept of staying in the present is extremely relevant. So if we notice these things and it's of service in some way for us to be better people to ourselves and others, I'm in. But otherwise, to me, I block it out the way that I block out a lot of stuff most of the time, unless there's, like I said, useful information. Yeah. I had a moment yesterday on the subway where I thought, I don't know if anybody here is real. Yeah. That's right. Well, I that's get like overwhelmed that yeah, but that's thinking like that, that cor- they all have lives and stories <laughs> and they're all connected to each other. It just seems, I mean, I know that. But I'm- that's also really what my concept of God is. Yeah. I mean, you know, we that that word, like the American flag, has become sort of the bastion of the conservative right. Like, you know, if yes. But the truth is, is that I find God to be a very useful sh- sort of shorthand for the idea of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Like all of that. Plus that, like, that part, like, the best part of each of us. That's God. Yeah. I love that idea. Uh, and, and I try to reach out to that and, and, and to connect just with energy. Yes. Yes. I don't mean to be... Uh, you, I mean, please don't say that to me. You can say that to your listeners, but yeah. there's, you don't in any way have to back off from that statement. Okay. Uh, uh, maybe I'm saying it for me to, yeah. to kind of uh, feel more confident in, in, in embracing that. But uh, if I, uh, honestly, if I go to a kind of a prayer moment, it is to just focus on the energy and to hold it in and release it back into the world. That's right. I mean, I think I've been I'm very outspoken on social media. And as you may have observed on the show in my pretty sort of anti, let's say anti oligarchy yes. <laughs> <laughs> opinions, uh, I think we're our, our country's experiencing a coup right now. And I think we're in crisis. And there's yes. amazing things that can come out of crisis, of course. And we're experiencing that, but one of the things that I've been a target of a lot of anti—I mean, I've been a target of a lot of sort of Trump acolytes, and um, I've had to develop a practice in response to that, which is I allow myself to write a blistering response, and mm-hmm. then before I post it, I delete it, and then I send that person love. Yeah, I have to do the whole thing. That's so important. It's honest to write the response or else that anger gets kind of sublimated in creepy ways. But then it's also honest to acknowledge that somewhere buried in that person is something decent. And that's what I acknowledge. Yeah, that's a a powerful lesson I think we should all take to heart. (laughs) And I have done it myself with Facebook posts where I say, why am I walking into this? (laughs) I don't need this. I don't need this kind of energy to take over the rest of my day for somebody I don't know in Ohio. I am the queen of delete. Oh, also blocking. Blocking's great. I love blocking. I love it too. Feels so good. <laughs> well, that uh, yeah, no, it's all fantastic and um, good. I, I wanted to think if I had more to say about the the energy business, but um, 
uh, oh, do you have a specific uh, color? You mean that I am drawn to? Yeah. Well, I think I mean, energy-wise. Uh, well, I mean, maybe this is something you discussed previously on your podcast, and if so, I apologize. But no. to me, uh, the color that you're drawn to at a given moment is sort of about the energy frequencies, and it's I, this is this will sound so far out that I am going to couch it with an eyebrow waggle, but uh-huh. it is connected to the different chakras, you know, and yes. what's blocked. So I, it varies, you know. I mean, I would I'd say throughout my whole life, I've been most consistently drawn to blue. Uh, which is, you know, the color that was associated with Mother Mary, whom I really, really love. Uh, that may be a little surprising to people who know my Jewish radical background. But <laughs> well, what is Mother Mary? Because I too am drawn to blue, but I don't know the, the Mother background. Mary. Um, to me, she, we're going. It's like the concept of faith. You know, mm-hmm. this person who had so much faith that she was filled with something from nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the idea that you could. Uh, to me, that that's radical uh, receptivity. You know, yeah. and that's what we need right now. Like the and and um, it's not just about peace and calm; it's about active faith. And I mean, t- I've had a lot of moments in my life where I mean, I've literally had moments in my life where beaming blue into myself actually helped me through physical problems. But I, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to the colors that I see around other people and that I'm drawn to in a given day. Yeah. I don't think anyone should ever uh, wear a color that doesn't feel right to them or uh, not wear a color that they want to wear. Like, there's a reason for it, always. Yeah. It well, confers energy. And most New Yorkers just want to wear black. What color do you like right now? Oh, I'm I'm a big blue person. You are. I, I so beautiful. I'm always drawn to blue. I was told uh, uh, that it is uh, with communication in mm-hmm. the throat, and so that makes sense to me. That's right. It is throat chakra. Um, uh, that uh, I would be drawn to that. But sometimes it gets a little green. Well, if that's I'm heart thinking chakra. about uh, protection of loved ones. That's perfect. That's heart chakra. But I will tell you, quite honestly, I came to that with no information. But that's how this stuff goes. That's what yeah. I love about it. You yeah. know, it's there. It's there. And I think we can use our intellect and our um, our linguistic abilities not to lead but to follow. Like we get the, you know, we get the instinct and then we start, we follow, like, we figure out what it means. Be responsive. That's right. Receptivity. Receptive. Radical like receptivity. Well, uh, uh, pulling it back to film for oh, a moment. Sure, sure. Um, uh, because thinking about all these things triggered a memory for me. And it made me think of a film that I don't think many people like, what uh, is? other than me, uh, which is Beloved with uh, Tandy Newton that I believe Oprah produced and was in. What? What what made you think of it? I actually do like that film. I think there's some kind of a, 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 a spiritual mm. uh, piece to that, right? Yeah. It, I mean, there's like haunting or a ghost that's going on with that. And I think there's bugs in a tree, which I'm always thinking about. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the two things that are always fascinating to me about that movie, and maybe it was because I was thinking about qualities of films in advance of our conversation, or maybe I was drawn to the green energy a little bit, because it's a very green film. It is a very green uh, film. The, do you remember who directed it? Jonathan Demme. How did I not know that? Yeah. And I was uh, fascinated to watch it because I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and that's where the thing was filmed. And you can tell there's a quality of light in that uh, uh, picture that is exactly like going out in uh, Pennsylvania and stepping out on my parents' porch and looking out in the backyard. It was filmed in Lancaster and outside of Philadelphia. and uh, Like the main line? Or... Yeah, like that, that area. I a went to school of... there. That's why I'm asking. Oh, yes. Where'd you go to school there? Uh, Bryn Mawr. Oh, my gosh. So hard to say with a straight face. Ah, well, that's quite a scene. That, that's probably a lot of unpacking unto itself. I was born there in Bryn Mawr Hospital. Oh, okay. 
nearby. Yeah, I know it. We could have waved. Uh, but that you know then the quality of light. And I, I think do. if you go back to look at that picture, you would see, oh, yes, that's Pennsylvania. Well, that's sort of the magic. I mean, just just light. You know, yes. that's what's so interesting to me about cinema is that it really it does create these sort of magic transporting experiences. And one of the things, that, I don't mean to shift again, but no, no. one of the things I've been thinking about you know, this is Oscar time, and so I'm having to go back and yeah. look at everything in 2016 again. And I'm realizing that it was actually an extremely good year in cinema, although it was not especially joyous. Mm. But that for a while, I mean, I have a theory that your cinema can really, like, can't be much better than the culture that is producing it. And so for a while, during the aughts, when everybody was just chasing their own tail and, like, gossip really ran the headlines, um, Movies were, I mean, some of the, actually, there were some great movies in the odds, but like in the last five years, I've been rolling my eyes a lot, but this year has been quite substantive. Hmm. And I think it's because in general, people are ready for for their movies to be talking about something bigger because they're ready for things to be bigger. For, for them to for, mean something. Yeah, again. for substance. Well, and uh, maybe two examples. You you said Arrival, which has a, a lot of uh, play with light. Wow. You have uh, yeah. Oh, Mo- yeah. Moonlight, which is in the title. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> and like, uh, the, I mean, again, this in the cinematography, the, right. I mean, is such a crucial part of both films. You know, that's such the magic of particularly cinema. I mean, I'm really pro all this premium cable, like premium television that's happening, but there's still nothing that quite, for me, approaches the awe of sitting in a room and being kind of held hostage and and then held in general by a large screen. It's something, the light flickering at the end of the tunnel. It's like a womb, yes. man. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and when it works perfectly, yeah. then uh, great. But when you're surrounded by people with nachos and uh, if you're Answering trying to their watch cell phones. a 3D picture and the 3D is off and you <laughs> have to go down and talk to the person... I mean, there's parts of it that wear me down yeah. in the movie-going experience. We'd all love that ideal womb but uh, a womb room. often I get, you know, a general hospital a waiting room and there's people running through. It's and true. All this kind I of admit stuff. that when I'm seeing a movie, like most of the time I see them in critic screenings, but when I don't, I go I go with the uh, retirees. I go to the early bird special. You yeah, know, I, <laughs> right. 10 o'clock, baby. In the morning, to yes, be clear. <laughs> yes. But the, the thing I'm drawn to, I'm, now I'm realizing I'm drawn to those films uh, because of uh, the color. <laughs> It's, I love that. It's, 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 no, that makes a lot of wrong. sense. I mean, and I think Twilight had like a real wash of sort of gold to it throughout a lot of it. Moonlight then, or Twilight? Sorry. I mean Moonlight. Not the vampire trilogy. No, I'm talking <laughs> That was washed with blue, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I yeah. like this color washed idea. Washed out. Yeah, was, yeah. Yes. Washed out like the performances. Yes, well. Uh, uh, yeah, there's, a, uh, there's some th- movies, though, I won't see because of that. Like uh, The English Patient. Ugh. It's too much sand. I don't care. I for actually yellow. don't like. Okay, hilarious. <laughs> I don't like movies. I mean, I will officially. I will give any movie a fair shake, but give, left to my own sort of predilections, I hate movies set on boats or deserts. Like they're just yeah. a bummer to look at. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I haven't thought about it in quite that way. Well, but. and like my favorite films are just a wash and I mean, in all kinds of color. Like I'm obsessed with yeah. Douglas Sirk's films. I'm yeah. obsessed with my favorite movie of all time is Singing in the Rain. It's a perfect film. Yeah, I, you get no argument from me. Uh, I thought that what we could do, though, as long as we're on this subject, oh, yeah. is to run a quick exercise where maybe you could uh, give me a little sense of. Uh, uh, now we've had a little bit of conversation, but uh, if I told you my list of films. You could kind of give me your take on me. 
what kind of person I might be. All right. I don't Just, know. I, I'm going to listen, and then okay. I'll tell you whether I'm comfortable with giving you an answer. Okay. All right. That sounds good. They could be really wild, couldn't yeah, they? Yeah, you never know. I think they're quite tame. But all that jazz, defending your life, being there, in the mood for love, waiting for Guffman, the conversation... And the whiz. Okay, first of all, I love every movie you picked. You're They're awesome. All great. They're all You're great. Just awesome. They're all great. Um, I love every one of those movies. And the, your spiritual thirst yes. is evident, uh, as is the fact that you fight constantly with your own cynicism. Yes. Um, let's see. In the mood for love. You're a romantic, like a mother effer. I don't know what your relationship is to swearing on this podcast. So, But you are a deeply romantic person who has yet to give up on that. And in fact, I think if anything, you've translated the idea of, and I think this happens to all of us in our 40s, like, you know, we in our 20s and 30s, because we're essentially hormone-driven crazy people, Right. it's all about one-on-one love. And then at a certain point, you open up that capacity for love. And so that it's not just romance, it's like love for humanity. And I, I think all those films are exploring that concept in some or another hungry way. Sounds good to me. Thank you. I like, I love your list. I mean, The Wiz, I just rewatched that. Okay, there's a problem. I mean, The Wiz is a mess. Yes. We know that. But yes. I, and that's not a critique. Like, I'm a huge fan of, I mean, all that jazz is too, but all that jazz is my second favorite film, by the way. Yeah. It's, it's a, a phenomenal. It's, a, it's the one I could watch endlessly. I watch it like once a month. Yeah. And every time I forget, uh, how profoundly weird the uh, the dream sequence parts are. It's nuts. I'm thinking, blah, 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 you know, it's showtime, whatever, and they're going along, and oh my gosh, how can he do it? And then it's Jessica Lang in a hat. Okay, and also let's talk about the fact <laughs> that, like, Fosse makes his introductory scene, like, like, basically all of a chorus line is not as good as the first 10 minutes of all that jazz, and yet it's the same material. Like, yeah. I can watch just that sequence sometimes before I leave the house because it just gets yes. me revved up. Yes. It's like someone else watching Rocky climb up the the, <laughs> the museum exactly. stairs. It's I love amazing. It. It's a perfect uh, part of uh, cinema. Oh, and, God. and El Jarreau sings that song, Jarreau, God, yes, God Love him. him. Rest in peace. Yeah. Rest uh, in power. It's, uh, it's so good. So good. Yes. I love, I love, I mean, but what I was going to say about uh, yes. The Wiz, which is, Maybe less. I adore it, and I have many fond memories of watching uh, my goddaughter perform, like who's now a professional dancer, like practice with Michael Jackson when he was playing the Scarecrow. You know, Uh because his dancing was amazing. But I think that the the best part about that film actually is the cinematography, and I understand everything you're saying about your like attraction to light in cinema because the use of color and light in that film is so extraordinary. It's crazy. And the downside is that Sidney Lament should never have been the director. (laughs) Like it's such a great thing that he couldn't completely tamp it down. But this was not a guy who really had any like comfort with his material and you can feel it. Got away from him a little bit. Uh, A a little, (laughs) you think? (laughs) Yes. I, 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 uh... I love it anyway. In the mood for love, man. Uh, Oy vey. That's quite a thing. Even the soundtrack is great. Uh, so good. I mean, talk about color and light. It's hard. With any that's of the... a movie I find disappointing in a small screen, actually, because I just want to drown yeah. in it. Oh, yes. so did you see The Handmaiden from last year? No. Oh, you have to see that. Is that a, a Wong Kar Wai or that's a... Um, I'm really, I'm so bad. I'm spacing on, it's a Korean director who mostly does kind of like mad sort of super violent films okay uh this is an adaptation of sarah waters a victorian lesbian sort of long con artist 
uh, novel, which is a great novel. Uh, this is such a unique, it's one of my favorite adaptations of the year, and one of my jobs is I write about adaptations. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's if you because of the use of color and just the in general like extravagantly beautiful set design, I think that you would adore it. I'm going to look at Handmaiden. Yeah, is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the Handmaiden's Tale. Yeah, it might be the Handmaid. I'm a mess with the titles today. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. Well, you talk about the difference between the big screen and the small screen. Mm. I must admit to you that I travel a lot, and so I am sometimes forced to watch. Uh, uh, films on the plane mm-hmm. uh, where I'm in a very heightened emotional state. I don't know if that happens. I assume that happens to everyone, but I was just bawling watching the Katy Perry documentary one time on the plane. <laughs> embarrassed. I'm sorry for guffawing. No, no. I, I find it a little amusing myself because I was just thinking she works so hard, but she's in such a bad relationship. And so, I just want her to be happy. I save my tears for other objects. Or... <laughs> but it is also sadly how I really fully watched and paid attention to Sunset Boulevard. Mm. I mean, of all the movies to watch on the plane, that is probably Mm. like that and Citizen Kane, or as you said, In the Mood for Love, don't do it. But something about I just wanted to watch it all the way through. I'd always seen the highlights, and I thought I knew it. That is a very strange film. Yes, it is. You got the monkey. There's a monkey, right? Oh, yeah. Then you got the butler, which is Otto Preminger, right? What's uh-huh. he doing there? And, of course, I knew him as Mr. Freeze from the Batman television show, which is insane that he also played that. And he had a great little uh, cameo. Somebody, um, uh, Christian somebody, played him in Trumbo, uh, which was fantastic to see. But um, that, that uh, Sunset Boulevard, wow. What a, what a, what a bizarre we film. We were having a really sort of hot debate about the the Broadway production right uh, yesterday at New York One actually. Oh yes, it's, it's happening now with Glenn. Yeah, Close. And, it, and it's a huge hit so far. And um, I haven't seen it, but my producers were saying, and I found this interesting that the problem is is that it's self conscious in its camp, which to some degree mm. defeats yeah. his his definition of camp. And I do think that like what's so extraordinary about these movies is that it's not that Hollywood wasn't in on the joke to some degree. I mean, you had deeply subversive people in the writer's room most of the time. Yeah. But they they never there there was never an a visible wink to the work and that's why it was that's why you submit to it. Right. You know? Right. I think that's true. I, I met Billy Wilder's wife once. Oh my gosh, uh, tell me about that. Oh she's I very love lovely. Billy we Wilder. We didn't have a lot to, to talk about, but I mean Was she I Jewish? Her. Sorry. That was oh, the most Jewish thing I've said today. I don't know. Is she Jewish? <laughs> my grandmother just came through my body. <laughs> Look at her nose. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. She was a very slight woman, very beautiful, well put together. Um uh, around the same kind of thing, we were uh, in L.A. for an uh, opening of a little theater that was named after him. Um, also met Warren Beatty, uh. and uh, which was okay. I had a very awkward interaction with him, but Annette was lovely. I just had the exact same experience with both of them. Oh, really? Yeah, I was at the, a luncheon for Rules Don't Apply in the autumn. In the autumn. <laughs> it sounded <laughs> yes. really ominous. <laughs> and... Um, it She's, was an ominous autumn. It actually was <laughs> November 9th. Um, no, but I had the same experience where Warren seemed, uh, <clears throat> he seemed, you know, in the, he always seemed bemused. That's all. That was always his yeah, thing. And when right. he was in his prime, that was insanely sexy. It, it sort of came off as like the right kind of withholding. Yeah. But he just seemed befuddled, actually, not bemused. This time where she's just a... 
She is a firework. Yeah. You know, she's a firecracker. She's I love her. It. She's smart. She's an old school dame. And we have yeah. so few of them these days. Like yeah. I thought I thought maybe Emma from La La Land would be, but I haven't been feeling that lately. No. No. No, certainly not at the Annette level. No, Annette's amazing. Oh, and she got so snubbed uh, with in the Academy Awards. She wasn't even nominated, which yes. I honestly thought she might win. Is the kind of thing where people just didn't see that film? It, it didn't have a wide enough release You're saying or 20th something? Century Women? That's what she was up for, right? Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. It's such a great movie, but Hollywood really likes movies that either are issue-driven, which is great, or movies about themselves, Movie like which is why I think La La Land will win everything. Well, let's talk about the Oscars a little mm-hmm. bit because they are coming up. And uh, I got all the SAG screeners, you know, nice. uh, for my voiceover work for Johnson's Floor Wax. I was given screeners. <laughs> oh, Dale. Uh, uh, so I didn't, uh, however, feel compelled to watch any of them other than Arrival. I watched and I liked that very much. Mm. But as we said, I have problems with the Affleck, so I don't need to be sad by You're the You're afflicted. I am afflicted. I read that he doesn't want to be Batman anymore. I read that as well. I was quite pleased. So, I mean, good riddance, I say. Although, why are they still making Batman movies? This is a problem. But also, why didn't Clooney do better? Because, I mean, he was in the wrong vehicle. But had he been in there in another incarnation of it, I, I think, think he'd I, be great. I don't think so. I mean, well, there's two things. Schumacher was, I mean. Abhorrent. Terrible. <laughs> in a Talk way, about I, the in material In a way, I kind of love you. that he just, like, called the bluff of all the homoeroticism of the, sure. of the series. Okay. But but he's such a schlock jock. You know, like, it just, it was too much. And I, But I think Clooney, like. I think this about Meryl Streep also. Like these are people who uh, sometimes are fantastic and sometimes condescend to the roles that they deign to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I always think about how much he's how when he was in ER, and that's right, I was an obsessive with the ER. Yep. He always like his whole form of acting quotation marks audible was just to put his head to the side and bat his eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think he ever would have been a good Batman because he it would have been too much. Like, yeah, this is my money gig. This is going to pay for every independent film I make for the rest of my life. I see. That said, he loves paying a dope for the Coen brothers, and he does it brilliantly. Yeah. I love him in Coen see, brothers I thought movies. late Clooney would be good, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe man. you're thinking dead Clooney. Maybe. <laughs> the late Clooney. <laughs> they just strap him up, <laughs> like, turn him into a robot. <laughs> but um, I also, uh, Moonlight looked like it was going to be uh, something that it would be too serious and real for me to get into, uh, so I didn't watch it it's yet. It's a very beautiful film. But uh, this is, your opinions have changed my opinion. <laughs> so I I'm going to watch I mean, I, I, um, I know exactly what you mean. Like, we're having a hard time right now, all of us. And so, and I've been writing about this a lot. Um, we're having a hard time, and so our needs in terms of the visual entertainment that we seek have shifted. Like, we want something that transports us, but it can't be empty dissociation anymore because that's how yeah. we got in this mess in the first place. The reality TV garbage. Like, we have a reality TV king now. Right. Um, so there's a fine line. Like, we don't want films that are going to make us feel even worse, but we also don't want films that make us any stupider. Right. And I do think that Moonlight, at the even though it seems like a very hard topic, is... One of the most redemptive films I've seen in a really long time. Like, it's hard to talk about it at any length and not start to cry. Like, it's an incredibly beautiful film. And I talked to the director a little bit. And what was interesting to me is that he's very much not that character, which mm. is what people would assume. Mm-hmm. He just got him. Well, I'm going I'm to watch it because that's a, that's a good endorsement for it. And uh, I know I should. 
It's, it's a, I don't mean to make this the equation, but oh, it's a little bit like The Wire. I, I didn't want to watch that because I felt like I, it's too real for Did me to Did you watch The Wire? A little bit, but then I started to be like, oh, gosh. I'm, I'm like, for me, The Wire is Shakespeare. Like, all yeah. roads lead to The Wire, and every character is iconic. I love uh, The Wire. I look but forward I'm, to I'm really doing I'm from the mean that. streets of Newton, Massachusetts. Yes. Yes, I'm so. mocking myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then uh, Natalie Portman. Is uh, somebody I find problematic, perhaps not unlike the way I find Halle Berry problematic. Uh, I just I don't uh, need to watch. I, uh. I think Natalie Portman is. I'm I'm actually super interested in what she's going to continue to do as a director. I'm spacing on the name no. of the Israeli film that she, the Israel, oh, yes. uh, the, yeah. the Hebrew language film that she made this year, but it was quite good. Actually. It was. And I think that she may surprise us as a director, but she's, you know, she's one of those women, and I thought this about Uma Thurman for a long time, but I don't anymore, uh, yeah. who's actually so sort of unspeakably <laughs> naturally beautiful that there's this part of their performance where, like, can you believe I can actually use my lips and create sounds? Like, they're just <laughs> expecting to be applauded for everything they do. Like, I find her to be almost, like, in impossible to watch like she's so twee yeah. and I thought Jackie was the most freaking overrated film of 2016 yeah. wait is that no, no I hated Elle which has upset every other feminist that I know I think it's like the most cynical like have your cake and eat it too garbagey I don't f- think I know which one that is it's the new movie from Paul Van Blech uh, who did Basic Instinct and Fatal oh. no he didn't do Fatal Attraction but like that kind of cynical like let's pretend it's about right. female empowerment while we like objectify these and talk about how crazy bitches are kind of thing he's nonsense I hate Elle uh, and Tony Erdman <laughs> that's an overrated film don't see that either Everyone, okay. everyone's gonna tell you it's amazing I found it to be like, amazingly bad. Well, it's already off my list. Boom. Boom. Uh, but now do you have to you get together with the other folks and watch the Oscars? Are you going to dress up? You know, yeah. I used to. Well, we're doing a show on New York One next week. Yes. Um, where we, every year we do an Oscar prediction show and we dress up. So I'm actually right now slightly, not at this moment, but this week I'm slightly distracted with whatever shall I wear. Yeah. But over the years I've come to terms with the fact that my basic misanthropic qualities mean that I hate watching Oscars with other people because they don't shut the F up and it drives me crazy. Oh, you've got to meet my friend Daniel. You can't watch the darn thing. Or I guess his uh, his uh, husband now, uh, uh, Scott, he does. He will push you out of the room. He does not like to have anybody talking. That's how I feel. During the Oscars. And everybody tries to be clever. I mean, yes. I, I used to like it because I'd yeah. win Oscar pools because I'm so cynical that yeah. I would <laughs> always guess correctly. Yeah. I want you to meet those two because Daniel runs the Oscar pool, which all the rules are like if you didn't vote for what Daniel did, then you get 10 points off. You know, it's all – <laughs> I love It's that. a scheme for him to win. It's really funny. And a shout out to them uh, today. <laughs> and Scott wants complete silence. So it's a lot of fun this time of year. But uh, it, generally, do you look forward to that kind of thing? Or I does, love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's the same way I loved the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. Like, I can't help it. Oh my like, God. what? <laughs> That's my team. I loved. You I can't like, help it. I know. That's what I'm saying. Or like, never mind. The Scotty Nirvana Pippen. album. I love Pippin. Are you kidding me? Uh. Scotty's my man. But all three of those boys, Rodman, Michael Jordan, like, yeah. I, what I'm saying is I am absolutely, I'm on board for the mass popular experience if it's a good one. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm from Boston in the 80s, so I started off with the Celtics. That's a high note. Sorry, my, I didn't mean to delve into NBA. That's a little disturbing. That's Om okay. Shante. <laughs> I like it very much. Um, uh, Kathleen Turner. What about? 
Just in general, does she exist? I thought she would have had more of a career. She's, you know, I just finished reading, here's a book that I adore reading. It's a hate love thing. Uh, You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again, Uh the Julia Phillips book. I just fell into like a rabbit hole of 70 cinema the the last week. And so I had watched Close Encounters and then I had to read the book. And she's she's mean on everybody, Julia, but she says so many funny, like hilariously mean things about Kathleen Turner. Like, I mean, she but I think the the thing I took away from that is that I think addiction like ruined her, like her her in a way, you know, it's the American myth that you can always stage a comeback. But I do think that some people are ravaged by addiction in ways that they can't quite reassemble themselves. I get yeah. that vibe on her, that yeah. she ravaged herself physically and she somehow ravaged herself mentally. Like she does do work. Like she's on this show called The Path now. I don't know if you've mm. ever, Mm-mm. she had a, she was on a few episodes of it, which is about a cult. It's a Hulu series. And as you know, she's great. She's a great actor. She's very self-possessed. And in a way she's got that Annette Benning thing of like the old school dance. But she's, yeah. but she had also had like, she just always seemed so damn coked out, you know. I guess that's true. She, uh, in fact, in this building, uh, my dermatologist is uh, the floor a upstairs. Handy building. It is. It's a one-stop shop here at the Deep Night uh, <laughs> Studio Complex and and skincare facility. Terrific. Uh, she was uh, in the waiting. She came into the waiting room, and she said. Uh, Kathleen Turner, you, like you have to know Kathleen who I Turner. am. <laughs> you have to know who I am. And uh, they say, "Oh yes, yes, of course." And just she looked like she'd be a little bit of a different. Like you wouldn't oh, want to have a customer service interaction with her. Yeah, everyone because it wouldn't difficult. go well. Yep, I've saw her once at the Hamptons Film Festival, and she was again piece of work. I mean, yes. I am of the school where I kind of, I've learned a long time ago don't don't expect to be buddies with your favorite actors or favorite writers. You know, like I tend to yeah. enjoy them when they're difficult from afar. Although, you know, <laughs> right. But she's a piece of work. Also, she's Susan Sarandon, such a piece oh, of work. I was in her uh, suite at the, um, what is that, the Peninsula Hotel in uh, Beverly Hills. Yes. Let's leave it at that. Oh, my. I hear the audible ellipses. <laughs> so much quotation, so much audible punctuation. But uh, I do uh, want to say, you know, you've had so many different... Uh, uh, things that you've done in your life. You mm. said labor activist, mm-hmm. uh, writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's the the spiritual practice of it. You were a child star. I wasn't a child star. I was a child actor. A I child did TV. actor. Yeah, I was on an American version of uh, a hit Nickelodeon series that launched Atlanta's Morissette, set, basically. You can't do that on television. <laughs> yeah. What was the American version? Uh, Don't Look Now. I was. Don't I basically now. played the Atlantis role in that. And shockingly, we were canceled after a season. Oh, <laughs> Did you have to put up with slime? Yeah, I got. Ye- they called it yellow yuck. The the, the uh, only real sort of actor who was launched from that is a guy named Max Casella, who's a character oh, yeah. actor who's on a lot of stuff. He was my first kiss on the show, oh. and in retrospect, totally broke a ton of laws because he was eighteen and I was thirteen. Oh, I know. I was not a thirteen-year-old looking thirteen-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, talk about yellow yak. Is that what you said? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yikes. Yellow oh, so you were making a point about my various hats. I apologize. Various hats and the fact that you have experienced the white-hot heat of being a celebrity. So you know what it's I'm like. I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> that's like I can't even remotely let you finish that sentence. Like, that's not true. But uh, you've done all of these things, um, and it's all informed uh, you to this moment. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you have a lot of uh, uh, writings and things that you put up on Signs and Sirens. Yes, that's the name of my blog. Thank you for knowing that. Um, And one of the things that I read on there uh, talking about just the way you perceive the world is you had an encounter with a bald eagle. 
Recently, Baldi. Recently. Yeah, I did. I saw one for the first time. For the uh, first time. Two weekends ago in Maine. You're a magical creature. Aren't oh, they? I'm. I'm so happy to talk about that bald eagle. Like <laughs> we were driving along happily, my best friend and I. In my in my hijacking, you're leading to a no, point. No, no. Okay, okay. Well, my best friend and I have been best friends since we were six years old, and our birthdays are ten days apart. So every year, no matter what we're doing, and she's a mother of two in suburban Boston, and I have my weird Brooklyn life. Like we drop everything and go away together somewhere in New England in wilderness. And this year we went. Or not wilderness, but we went to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and then we sort of road tripped up the coast of Maine. Mm -hmm. And we were just driving and, as usual, singing very loudly to music when we stopped. Like, for some reason, we both looked to the left, and there was a bald eagle just hanging out in a tree. Like, and the thing is, is that you don't... It's you don't really think about them anymore. Like they're a symbol, but they're also practically extinct, alas. And so, the one thing you don't expect is to really see their scale. But it, he really had a presence. He was huge. They're big birds. And he was uh, peremptory. You know, like he looked like he was quite grouchy and self possessed. And I felt his power, and I understood also why somebody along the line had chosen him to be what I called in that piece you're uh, quoting this sort of the spirit guide of the United States. Yeah. I was in Alaska last year, and you go out onto the bay there in the boat, and bald eagles everywhere. Really, bald eagles. so many bald eagles. I can't. You go from like never that. really seeing one. Uh, I saw a couple so in Seattle or something, but then we went up to Alaska. Oh my gosh, all of these things around there, and it is that kind of like you're a. a it's. It is a spiritual animal. It's I very felt a little affirming. bit like crying. There's strength to it. Yeah, I felt really. St- this can sound so cheesy, but a little bit safer for having seen that bird. That's you know, right. I felt good. I was like, things are going to be okay. And Melina was like, that's hilarious. It's <laughs> <laughs> my friend. But the truth is, I mean, in the in the month that we've been held hostage by the Trumpies, which yes. is I, I'm bald in my I'm a bald eagle in my <laughs> hatred of it. Um, that administration. I do think this has been the first week where we've seen any light for the trees. Yes. You know? Yeah. Well, that's why I thought we'd kind of wrap things up on the bald eagle moment because it is a, sing- a symbol uh, of uh, endurance and strength. Yep. And uh, even though you might have lost track of them or think they're not there, they're there and they're huge. Talk about faith. And they're in those trees. That's right. Talk about faith. Yes. Yes. And we will continue to be receptive. And uh, when does On Demand air? You have an Oscars special? Yeah, we our show is, you can always find us online. From the sublime yeah. to uh, <laughs> this other thing. To the sublime to the shilling, <laughs> shall we say? Shall we shill? Um, well, this, you can always find the show online. Just Google New York One Talking Pictures On Demand. We air on Saturdays and Fridays all the time, I think. I'm bad on times. And we're actually national. Um, anywhere Fantastic. that yeah, anywhere that has spectrum, we are. And my blog is pretty easily found, which is signsandsirens.com. And I write about eavesdropping and stoop snooping and feminism and film and being an intuitive. All of my favorite things. This has been terrific, Lisa. Thank you for joining Thank me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. Fantastic. You know, film is projected light, and we should all be projecting a little light and experiencing real strength like that mighty eagle. I so enjoyed my conversation with Lisa. I hope you'll seek her out as well. Check her blog, 
signs and sirens, or watch her on Talking Pictures On Demand. You can watch me live on February 22nd at the Sliver Room when we bring a fantastic show to you from New York City with my guests, comedian Michelle Buteau, comedian and writer Daniel Kibblesmith, mentalist Vinnie DePonto, and comedian Sandy Honig. We also have music from Cornelius Loy on the theremin. Oh, that's a magical instrument, that is. And it's all reasonably priced for $10 or $12. Be sure and visit DaleRadio.com for more information and for the link to buy tickets if you want to get them in advance. I encourage that. This will do it for us. Uh, Please subscribe and review to the program on iTunes if you have a moment. Till next time, remember that although this night may be ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening. Listening.